me, so I'm selfish like that. Uh, but uh, thank you all. Y'all did an amazing job, and especially just throwing it on them like I did. Uh, we kind of came up with the idea that it'd be cool. Um, but also, do y'all like my boat? It's pretty neat, isn't it? Um, y'all go ahead and have a seat. I know y'all been standing for a while. Um, if you weren't aware, this is the uh, kickstart to our summer program. We're calling it The Voyage, and we're going on an adventure through God's Word. And uh, we've been talking for several, several weeks, and preachers been doing the same, and, and uh, seeing the importance of truth and what truth is. And so that's one thing we're going to be doing all summer long with these children as well. And uh, I thought what a, what a great way it'd be to, uh, to start off with that. Um, so if you have your Bibles, we are going to be in the book of Judges, the book of Judges. Um, I was back and forth on exactly what I wanted to preach on today. Um, there's just several things that came to mind, and um, it seemed like every time I go to prepare and try to study that, well, really, the only thing that's been on my mind all week is our, our summer program, to be honest with you. And, uh, but with that, what kept coming to my mind is, is children and the importance of, of children, uh, the importance of our future through our children. And uh, it, led me, it led me to this, uh, this passage. And um, so today, my, my, my hope is, is that I can leave you with a piece of information that maybe will help you. Um, most of us in here are probably parents. Um, some of us children are still residing with us. Some of us, parent, our, our children are outside the home. But I think in any situation, this, this can help us to, to better understand what we need to do and uh, 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 to make things better, I guess, in this world. Um, and and my, my prayer today, as I was pre- preparing and doing all this, the one thing that I want to come across is encouraging. I don't want to come across as that I'm bashing, that I'm scolding, that I'm doing anything, but this topic is something that's, that's very important and very dear to me. Um, if you weren't aware, I am uh, the children's pastor here, and so children is what I do, and, and I love it. It helps, I think, keep me a little young, is what, I, what I'm, I, I hear how bad it is when you get old and things start going bad, and why do we share that, by the way? Like, when you get older, why is it, well, wait till you get older. Like, the, be hopeful, like, give us hope, you know? But, but with, the, with children, I, I'm hoping that it keeps me young, uh, but, it, but it is where my heart is, and it, it's very, very dear to me, and so I hope today that I'm able to share some, some encouragement with you, and for us to see the uh, severity of what it is that I'm going to be talking about. Uh, but we are going to be in the book of Judges, uh, chapter 2 and verse 6, chapter 2 and verse 6. It says, and when Joshua had led the people go, the children of Israel went every man into his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in the Mount of Ephraim on the north side of the hill Gash. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. And then there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served by them. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods, of the gods of the people that were round about them, and bowed themselves down unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Astaroth. Dear God, I come to you this morning. God, just uh, first, thank you for allowing me to be here on stage, God. Allow me to be able to share your word. And God, I pray that you just, uh, God, strengthen me, support me right now, God. 
Help me to be able to say the things that I need to say, God, and uh, withhold the things that I don't. And God, I pray that you begin to touch each and every person in this place, God. I pray that they're able to leave with something today. God, I pray that something just speaks to them in their own lives, God, and, and maybe something different that we can do. Or God, just encourage us and, 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 and uh, God, help us see that maybe we're doing things right. And God, through it all, everything that's said today, God, I pray that it brings you honor. I pray that it brings you glory. And God, I thank you for your mercy, your love, and your grace for us. And I ask all these things in your name. Amen. Uh, the message, I'm titling this, ma- uh, this message, Pass the Baton. Um, for some reason, when I'm preparing messages, it's always, the hardest part for me is always getting the name of the message and the, getting the outlines. And I always have the content. It's always good. But for some reason, as I was preparing this message, I was sitting down and there happened to be uh, on TV a track meet that was on. And uh, the 4x100 relay was on there. And I don't know if you're familiar with track. Um, i really not that familiar. Uh, my wife helped coach it for a period of time, but to, in all honesty, I don't know how much she actually knew about it either. Just helped her keep her job. But uh, uh, the 4x100 uh, relay was always one of those things that I was like, man, that's the simplest thing in the world. You just run fast and you hand the stick off. Well, there's a lot more to it. And as I started researching, I don't know how many of y'all are familiar with this, but there's actually an art to be able to do this, to be able to pass off that baton and to keep going. And like I said, I just, for me, I just figured you'd run as fast as you can. Uh, for me, it would be don't trip, don't fall as you're doing it. Uh, but there's, a, there's an art to it. And as I was studying, there was, uh, I was reminded of the 96 Olympics. Um, and yeah, I had, to, I had to study all this and do all this. But the 96 Olympics, the U.S. team, the 4x100 team, was favored to win this event. Like, hands down. They had, they had won this event like 75% of the time. The U.S. was always known for having some of the fastest sprinters in the world, But what happened is that this event, they were disqualified when they went to pass off the baton. And it was a big, big deal because it was a simple goal it was supposed to be. But they messed up. They disqualified as they were passing off the baton. And, of course, the Canadians came and beat us. But uh, that is what it is. But where they messed up was passing off the baton. And that led me to to think about this this message. And, And what had happened with this story is that the issue came from passing down from one generation to the other, passing that baton on and passing what they had learned over the years. They had failed to do that going forward. And then I got to thinking about, you know, you can't help but, but sit around and uh, I make the mistake of turning on the news and, and watching it and getting all wrapped up and getting angry over stuff that I, I, I don't think I can control. And uh, we look at society and we look at where it is and we look at how bad things are and you hear things like, you know, uh, we're pulling church out of the schools, and we're doing things like this, and you can see it. It's, 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 it's clear. It's in front of us that these kind of things are happening. And you can't help but sit and think and be like, where in the world did we mess up? Where in the world did this begin, the shift begin to happen? And how did we allow it to happen? And so I got to think, and there's, there's so many things that we can, we, can, we can put the blame on. We can put the blame on, on the church. We can put it on the fact that that churches are dying left and right, that people aren't preaching the truth. You can blame it on liberal media if you want, that, that things have just shifted our mentality and, and what it is, but if you want me to be honest with you this morning, I, I really think that a lot of the issue is on us, and it's on us as parents. And, uh, and, and, I, and I look, and I, and I think that, that we don't even realize it. 
I, I think that we've just allowed these things to happen as parents or as adults or as leaders, and we've just allowed it to happen, and we automatically assume it's not us, that it's someone else. Or maybe you're not in that situation, but through my study, and this is what always happens to me when I'm preparing messages, is I realize I am to blame. So I want you to understand that everything that I'm about to tell you here goes on me just as much as it does someone else in here. And it spoke to me big time. But as we see in this verse, and I'm going to help set up some of the story here, is through this story, there's, there's one thing that I think, uh, actually there's several things, but the first thing I want you to realize is there is a role or responsibility that we have. So I want you to see that there is a role that we must realize. A role that we must realize. And when I say we, I'm talking again about parents, about leaders, as adults, as anyone who has any type of uh, watch over young ones. Okay, There's a role we must realize, and the first part here is parents must teach children. And it's a simple concept. It's a simple, simple concept that parents must teach children, but it's not happening. It's not happening. In Ephesians 6, 4, it says, And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. In Psalm 78, 4 and 5, it says, We will not hide from them, uh, from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. So when we're reading this, this, this story in Judges, when we're seeing this, and I don't know how many of y'all are familiar with the story, um, but basically Joshua was the leader in this time. He took over after Moses and Joshua's instructions and even Moses' instruction before that was to make sure that the generation after knew, and the generation after that knew, everything that God had done. How God worked through them to understand the commandments of God and everything that was involved with that. And we see through these other verses that we are given the same instructions. The role that we have, our number one responsibility as a leader, as a parent, is to teach the children to know and fear the Lord. Hands down. To know and fear the Lord. And the parent involvement is key here. The commandment wasn't for us to give our children off to someone else to teach them about God. The commandment was given to us as leaders, as parents, to teach the children ourselves, to bring them up in nurture. That's the growth, that's the education, that's the instruction. But not only that, an admonition of the Lord. So the reproof, the correction. We have to bring our children up in that so that they can understand what God has done for them and what God can do for them. But not just to teach them, to bring them up in that. The, the point I said there was to know and fear the Lord. To know and fear the Lord. In Deuteronomy 31, 12 through 13, it says, Gather the people together, men and women and children, and thy stranger that is within thy, gate, thy gates, that they may hear... And that they may learn and fear the Lord your God and observe to do all the words of the law. And that their children, which have not known anything, may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God. As long as you live in the land, whether you go over Jordan to possess it. And that second part of the Psalm 78, which I just read a second ago, it says that the generation to come might know them. Even the children which should be born who should arise and declare to them their children, and this is what I want everybody to hear, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his 
commandments. So again, our number one responsibility as parents is to teach our children about God, to know Him, to fear Him. It's not about their hygiene. It's not about their physical appearance. It's not about their school education. It's not about how well they can hit a ball. It's not what team they can be on. Our number one responsibility as a parent is to teach our children about God. And when I look at society, and when I look at these children, and as I was down here worshiping and I was looking at all these children, I couldn't help but think, they're the future. They are the future. They're the ones who's going to carry us along. They're going to be the ones that when we get older that we look and say whether society got better or whether it progressively got worse. And what I'm scared of is that it will get worse because I feel that we don't understand the role that we have. I feel that we haven't necessarily taken that uh, very serious. Um, that we assume, because maybe we go to church, that maybe because we, we pray every once in a while, that we assume the children are just going to get it. But there's so much more to it than that. It was a commandment. It is responsibility, a role that you have as a parent to do that. But then the second part, no, hold on, let me back up with that. I want to explain one more thing with this. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. And, and, and I try to explain this to our children. And they're like, why should we be afraid of God? And I think most of us in here know this. But the fear that we talk about is respect for who God is and for what he has done. Yeah. <laughs> one of my pet peeves, and I, I, when I surround myself around people, and, and some people just don't know better. Uh, but it's a pet peeve, and I, and I try to just let it go. But when I hear people pray, and they're like, well, we're just praying to the big guy upstairs. Yeah. And we're just, or we casually have our dinner prayers together. Man, it just gripes me. Because God is so much more than that. And I think we need to fully realize in us, it starts with us, that we need to realize who God is and what He's done. We need to realize the holiness that is there. We need to see the power and the strength that is there with God. Because if we don't get that here, there's no way that we can pass it down to the generation after us. So if we don't take the authority, the power, the greatness of God... How do we expect the little ones to get it too? So understand, when we talk about fear of the Lord, it is a respect factor. It is a respect of, Lord, of the Lord. But the second thing that I want you to see is that there is a warning that we must identify. There's a warning that we must identify. If you look through this uh, story in Judges, you see that there was a shifted uh, sense of priorities. All before this story happened, if, if you know the story of, of Moses and the exodus out of Egypt, you can see and you can follow how Moses, with only God's help, Moses wasn't qualified, he wasn't a guy that probably any of us would have chosen to do this task, but God did. And God helped Moses flee an entire nation out of Egypt. And y'all know how the story goes. They went through the Red Sea, the whole Red Sea parted. They went to the other side. They had no food, they had no water, and God literally dropped it to them from heaven. Dropped it from the sky. Not only that, as they're going and as they're tired and exhausted, they would come up against armies that there's no way they could have battled themselves, and God literally helped them through the situation by bringing things from the sky and obliterating an entire, another nation. But he was protecting his own. 
And not only that, this is the same group that got to experience the walls of Jericho falling down. So my point to say all this is this is a group of people that for so long have been able to see God's works, to know how God worked, because that's the only thing they could know. Because God had to help them through every situation. But things got easier. As they made it and they were close to the promised land, Moses had already received a warning and had already given it to the people. And Moses gave this reminder again. And basically what that was is when you get to the promised land, when you get to the place that God has promised us this entire time, you need to remember when you get there, put your sight and your focus on God. But not only that, the people that are residing in this area, you need to drive them out. You need to get them out. You need to destroy them. You need to push them out. But you cannot habitate. You cannot live with this group of people. And Moses gave them this command, right, this reminder right before they went in. So as they get into the promised land, as they possess, you see that Joshua dies and the elders after him and the baton wasn't passed. No leader stepped up. No one was teaching these children what needed to be said. They allowed things to happen. They allowed that sin to come. And, and, and the result was is that these people get into this nation. They forget the commandment. They forget that rule of driving people out. So they began to habitate. They began to live with some of the people around that area. And the problem was is those people around didn't know God. Which made the situation even worse. Because when you already have a, a generation that should know God, that doesn't know God, and then they get placed with another nation that has no understanding of who God is and what he has done, that equals a bad, bad situation. Amen. And I think that part of what had happened, I told you about the shifted priorities, is when they got into this land, they didn't have to work for anything. Because the scripture tells us they inherited this, this land. They put, they, it was given to them. They didn't have to lean on God. Everything they had, everything they wanted was given to them. They didn't have to work for it. It was handed to them. Now let's think about that for a moment. Do we hear that often right now? People having things handed to them, and that's exactly what happened. Is this group of people, they didn't have to rely on God. There was no reason. Everything was handed to them. And so when they get into this area, they see hey, these people are here. And then we can read in the book of Joshua and we can see that what they began to do is instead of driving these people out, they said, well, we'll keep them here. And then we can tax them. And then we can make money off of them. Then everything that we want and everything that we need will basically be given to us from this people. And there was a reason, though, that God had told them to drive them out. And that's because that's when sin began to enter into them even more. That's when that instant gratification began to be more appealing than God's commandments. And I think that's how we are today. Uh, our flesh just immediately goes to that. Is that if there's something easy and right here in front of us, it's easier just to grab this as opposed to listening to God and what he says to do. And that's what they did. And this is the group of people that basically turned this entire nation, a God-fearing, God-centered nation, into a nation that didn't know God, didn't have any love for God, didn't care who God was. And what we began to experience is sin over sin over sin over sin, which eventually led to the destruction. And the interesting thing that I see about this and, and the thing that we can, we can know about sin and, um, is 
for me, from what I've been able to see, is that the first step in sin is compromise. The first step in sin is compromise. We see it in front of us, and that's what they did. They compromised with God's commandment and was like, well, this isn't that big of a deal. We can do this. This isn't that big of a deal. And then what ended up happening is, is, is just a simple taxation on this group led to them getting further and further away from God. And then the second step, in my opinion, of sin is we kind of become desensitized to what sin is. When we do one sin and, you know, it's a little bit easier to do another sin, it's a little bit easier to do a little bit more, until yeah. finally we're in the third step, which I think is the worst, is when we justify it. When we say, oh, it's okay. I mean, it's not that bad. It's not that, I mean, look at, look at them. Look at how much worse they are off. But look at us. And not only do we start justifying it because based on what other people, is we justify it based on our circumstances. Because they were in this land, they're like, well, we need help. we gotta, we got to find something to do. Forget listening to God. We'll, we'll, we'll set this up ourselves. Our circumstances say that we need to do this. And that makes me wonder how many of us continually live in sin, and it's, well, we have to. There's no other option right now. We're just, we're just trying to make our way through right now. We're going to figure things out at the end. And I think that's kind of what these people was. Is they, they had already compromised. Sin got a little bit easier for them to the point of now they were justifying it. It's not that big of a deal. Does God really even care? I mean, it's sin, right? I mean, he doesn't care. It's just something little. And I, I think that's a, a, a huge deal because God is clear, Amen. crystal clear on sin. He, do, he doesn't compromise. I promise you, God does not compromise with your sin. When you come to God and you're like, God, I'm, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things. God isn't like, it's okay, I understand, I got you. No, he is clear. He despises sin. He hates sin. He, want, he wants nothing of it. I mean, if we really need to get down into it, he can show you at the beginning how much he felt about sin. He had literally just created his greatest creation and kicked them out and got away from them because of sin. God is crystal clear. He does not compromise with your sin. Just like he didn't compromise with their sin. And this was his nation. This is the group of people he chose specifically for a purpose. And the Bible tells us that his anger grew with them. God does not compromise for your sin. And it led to the people that knew not the Lord, nor yet his works. And I think out of everything in this story, this is the one that amazed me the most. Because these same stories that I'm telling about are the same stories I love to tell upstairs because they're fascinating. One of my favorite stories is the walls of Jericho. The walls of Jericho. It is crazy, it is insane, and it is wonderful. When you start to figure out how the walls fell down and what had to take place for that, I'm like, what? And, and if it were me living in that time, I would hope that I would be like, tell me more. Now tell me again, how did that, like, what were you thinking? But the Bible tells us that they knew not the Lord nor his works. They had forgotten the Red Sea or didn't talk about it. They forgot about food falling from heaven. I would love that, by the way. Food, just, I need a little snack. Thank you. Appreciate that. But they, they didn't remember any of that. They didn't remember the walls of Jericho. They didn't remember being pulled out of captivity, out of Egypt, to the promised land. They didn't remember any of it. No one shared it. 
people didn't find it important. And for me, the saddest part of it all is they had an abandoned faith. It says they forsook the Lord God of their fathers. That one commandment they chose to follow of driving the people out is the one thing that destroyed that nation. They compromised. They allowed them to come in, and the nation was destroyed there. One simple commandment from God. One simple commandment from God that they didn't follow. And I wonder how many of us have been put in situations that we're in because we chose not to follow a commandment of God. And the thing was, in this moment, the reason they forsook the Lord God is because they turned to things that were in front of them, the things that were appealing. They turned to the bells. Bell was, was different things they worshipped. It may be money, it may be status, whatever it was. And they turned and they worshipped those things because it was more appealing than what God had given them. And then I can only sit back and think about our children now. And are they falling in our teens? Are they falling to temptation of the things that are a little more appealing right now? Us as adults, us as leaders, do we fall into the situation where we, we, we grasp on to the things that appeal a little bit more than listening to what God says? And again, remember, God is clear with his instructions, with his commandments. But I say all this, and I tell you that everything's bad, only to tell you that it can get better. And I, and I fully believe that. I mean, I think that this, that this world is dying, and, I, I think, and I, I'm, I'm praying for the moment that Christ comes back. Amen. But the problem with that is how many of our youth, even how many of our leaders, don't know Christ right now. And that's what really starts to break my heart. Is when I think that how many children I have upstairs, and there may be a good majority of them, and I do everything that I can, but it's not enough. But if Christ came right now, what happens to our youth? What happens to our teens? What happens to those of us in here who just haven't taken that step of faith to know and trust the Lord? So I want that day to come, but whoo! I got a lot of work to do. And I think a lot of us in here do as well. Which is, is specifically why Jesus said that we need to go. He didn't say get your stuff together and just kind of prepare. He said go. Because it's imperative that you move right now. And that you begin to, sh- you begin to shift things back. Third point is there are steps that we must take. Steps that we must take. And I put this message out there for everybody. I don't think this is a message that's for just those who have parents because I think everybody has an influence over people around us. And that's true. We have an influence. And it can be a positive one. It can be a negative one. But I think we all have a positive influence that we can give to the youth around us. But there are steps that we must take. And the first step is we need to shift priorities back to what they need to be. What at one point in time they were. Now, I don't know how far that that goes back. I think it's a lot more than just one or two generations. But we need to shift priorities back to God. We need it to be God-centered. And we need to have, listen to this, non-compromised faith. Non-compromised faith. We're not willing to give in to temptations. We're not willing to give in to the things that look a little bit more appealing and the things that seem to be better in the moment. We need to have God-centered priorities. 
non-compromised faith type priorities. And this is the thing with priority. I'm going to define it for you real quick and I'm going to give you what I think about this. Priority is the fact or condition of being regarded or treated as more important. Read it one more time. The fact or condition of being regarded or treated as more important. Now, I would probably be safe to say that if I went to every one of you and asked you a question, if I came to you and said, do you hold anything over priority of God? Do you have any priorities that you would say is higher than God? I guarantee you not one person in here would say, yeah, I've got this one. Because the fact of the matter is, none of us want to admit that we have any priorities that are over God. We don't. Because what would that say about us? And do we really want to admit that? But I can tell you something. God knows your priorities. So as much as you try to hide it, and as much as you try to act like it's not, that something's a little bit more above God, I think that for a lot of us in here, our priorities may be skewed just a little bit. And it's okay right now for it to be wrong. But I want you to know that you need to shift it now. So if you identify these priorities, maybe your priorities are a little skewed, okay. But shift it. Change it now. Because it's not just detrimental for you, it's for the people around you. And this this is the other thing with the priorities. I think a lot of us have good intentions, and I think that, that we like to think that our priorities are right. Yeah, we go to church on Sundays. Yeah, we, you know, we can. We make it when we can on Wednesdays. Um, you know, if my kid really feels like it. Or depending on the day that we've had, uh, it was a really long day at work. I just, I don't know if I can make it. Um, it's summer. I kind of like the wakeboard, you know, need to be there. Um, but in all seriousness, I, I do think that, that we, we would like to say that our priorities are in God. But my, my challenge to you is to ask someone that's close to you if they think the priorities are the same. Um, uh, the group that came up here was our third, fourth, and fifth graders. And uh, the leader up there today is Brother Chris Ralph. And he was sharing a, a story with me. On, uh, he, he's over the fifth grade boys, uh, well, the fifth grade class on, on Wednesday nights. And he shared a story with me that, uh, about some of the, the, the guys that are in the group. And when, it, when we first started Wednesday nights for the season, they were coming pretty regularly. And then they kind of started missing and things like that. And they came and he asked them, he said, well, what's the deal? Why have, you, why have y'all not been coming every Wednesday? And they said, well, and they play ball. I don't know if it was football. I don't know if it was baseball. It really doesn't matter. And it's better that I not find out. But... Uh, they said, our coach told us, yeah, it's okay if you miss Wednesdays, uh, but just understand when you get back to practice the next day, you're going to run for missing, and just understand that you may not have a starting position. So the first thing I want to do, the fleshly side of me, wanted to say, what's his name? I'm going to go punch him in the face. <laughs> but that's the last thing I need is to be on the front, or the front page, local children's pastor punches, you, uh, you know. Don't need that again. No, I'm just totally kidding. But uh, definitely don't need that. But, but, but my anger just, man, it boiled up inside of me like, what kind of coach? But it got worse. Because then I'm like, whoa, whoa. Ooh. Let's, let's take a step back. Who took them to that coach? What kind of generation are we that as parents we are taking our children to someone who says ball and things like that are more important than God? 
And not only that, somebody that's willing to punish somebody for putting more hope and, and, in God. That blows my mind. But that is reality. That is what it has shifted to. And whether you want to admit it or not, it is. And now this is the problem with this. And this is when we start talking about compromise and being desensitized. Well, I tell you, them so-and-sos, they, they miss it every week. But I think if it's okay if we just miss one or two, you know? But this is the problem. It's not about just coming to church. What, are you, what example are you setting to your children? That it's okay to skip out on God when things get tougher, when you may miss your spot and ball. What are you really teaching your children? So again, things need to be God-centered. I knew I shouldn't have told that. I knew it was going to get me fired up again. Gosh. But, but really, do your children, do those people that you have influence of, do they see that God is the most important thing, the priority in your life? Or do they see your job? Do they see your time? Do they see that as God-centered? Or would they see your priorities shifted a little bit more? And the other thing uh, with shifting priorities is I, I think that's, that's very good is that we need to be intentional with letting them know Him and see His works. We need to be intentional with letting them know who God is and seeing the works that, we do f- that He does for us. I think we miss out on that a lot. I think we just get in such a rush and such a hurry in our everyday lives. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm so busy. Uh, it is insane. Uh, I'm back and forth and back and forth. And when I told you I was preparing this message, it was one of those that God was just trying to hit me over the head with a sledgehammer. Like, I'm t- trying to tell you. You need to do something different. But I am so busy. And I find myself at times just working with the flow and going back and forth and back and forth that I s- don't ever really stop like I need to to let my children understand exactly, not only who God is, because I, I feel I do an okay job at that. There's a lot I can do. But letting my children see what God has done for me, for my wife, for our family, for them. Because if you, from this story, we can see that that generation, nobody knew him. They didn't know his works. And I think, my daughters are five and two. And I think for my five-year-old, if I can make God this big, big God that is amazing, it will pique her interest and make her want to experience God on her own level as well. And I think that's what we need to do as leaders too. And even with our older ones. Man, y'all go through issues and struggles with older kids. And it's an even greater opportunity to show them how God has moved in your life. And that's what our children need to see. They need to know who God is. They need to spend time with God, with you. But they need to see how God has shown up in a great way in your life and in your family. There was a book written by Tim Kimmel, and it states that kids see their parents treating faith like a hobby, and so they just follow suit. Now, I want to ask you a question. Is your faith a hobby today? Do you just kind of follow the steps, come when you can because that's what you're supposed to be doing? Or is it real to you as well? Is God real in your life? Are you experiencing God in the works that he's doing for you as well? Or is it just a hobby for you? And it's just something you do when maybe you have some free time. or. But remember, the kids follow suit. 
And also, I think we need to show them he is important. And this is a thing that needs to come from both parents. It needs to come from both parents. Lamentation 3, 22 and 23 says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. They are new every morning. We need to be sharing daily God's mercies and his grace and how wonderful he is. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 7 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. Proverbs 1, 8 says, My son, hear the instructions of thy, fa- of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Our children need to be hearing daily in everything that we do how great and how wonderful God is. And it needs to be coming from both parents. I'm going to read a survey for you. It says, A survey conducted showed when both parents were faithful and they maintained active interest in the church and congregational programs that 93% of the kids remained faithful in the church. So when you had a family and the mother and the father were actively in the church, the kids were able to see that. And the statistic shows that 93% of them stayed faithful in the church after they moved on. But the survey continued to show that when there was only one parent faithful, that number dropped to 73%. And I've seen and I've experienced homes where it was just one parent that was kind of faithful. And for whatever reason, I don't know why this is, usually it's the mother that's more faithful than the father. And that's a, that's a different message for another time. But, but fathers, if you're not setting the example, you need to step up. Amen. You need to step up. It's not too late. And the thing with, I, I think a lot of people just see this as, well, like, my knowledge isn't that good of the Bible. It doesn't matter. I mean, it does. You need to work on that. But you need to be present. You need to show them that it's important to you. Because when they see it's important to you, it's going to be important to them. And that's the biggest part of that. So when there was one parent active, that number dropped to 73%. Then they looked at when two parents were somewhat active in the church. Somewhat active. That number dropped down to 53%. The kids remained faithful. The staggering number, however, showed that when both parents were infrequent to church, so when both parents would just come and go whenever, the percentage dropped to 6%. So if you are not active in the church, if you are not showing kids that it is important that they be in church, that they serve, that they take part, and that taking part means you're doing a little bit more than just coming into church, walking out the door, coming in late, leaving early, being active in the church. Now that doesn't mean you have to be on every team and just, I mean, that would be great. And children's ministry is an awesome opportunity and we have that for you. But in all seriousness, you need to be active and you need to show that it's important to you. A preacher shared with me before, uh, before he left. He shared me this story with me, so I'm going to read it for you. It says, uh, and, and the idea here is it's more than just going to church. Church is important because, again, it shows the focus on God. It allows us to worship God and to pour everything we have into God. But it's more to church. It's it's living out the Bible in our everyday lives. At home, on the car ride, uh, in the school line, 
going to ball practice, coming from ball practice. Whatever it is that you do with your life, you need to live out the Bible in your life. But the story says a little boy was talking to his dad. It says, the little boy said, Dad, did Grandpa make you go to Sunday school when you were my age? His father said, yeah, he sure did. We went every Sunday. The boy said, sadly, well, I bet it won't do me any good either. So again, it goes to perception. You may think you're living a life for God. You may think you're doing everything you can to set your kids up for success. But how do your kids see it? Are you living it out loud for your children to see your faith? Are they seeing what God's doing in your life? Are you making it exciting? Are you making it fun for them? My last point here is start now. It's not too late. Start now, it's not too late. One of the things that we're going to be doing, one of the initiatives I'm going to be changing with our children's area, we've been critiquing this a little bit, is I'm going to try to make a way for us to be more involved with you, the parents. And I think that the teens, they do a really good job at doing that too, but our goal is is to partner with you. Because we understand how crazy life can be. We do. And uh, so we want to make it as easy as possible for you. So there's going to be several things you're going to start seeing being passed out to your children if you have any to help you, to give you opportunities to be more intentional in the home. Because I think if, that, if we're not intentional and we're not careful with making sure that we show God that our children are going to be just like that generation who doesn't know God. They're going to turn their backs on God because they really they haven't experienced them. But they're going to turn their backs on God and follow the things of this world that make them happy. That helps them get through life. The things that really doesn't help them at all. Which is exactly like the illustration today, our story. They tried to turn to something that really wasn't a help and it was the one thing that led to their destruction. So sometimes you need to have quality time with your family. You need to be bringing them to church to show it's important. You need to be having prayer time with your family. And when I say prayer time... Uh, uh, we have a two-year-old, so we still have to, every once in a while, we still do the, you know, God is great, God is good, let us think. I mean, and it's great, you've got to start them. But there's got to be more to that. And they have to learn that they're talking to a real creator, a real God who loves them dearly. And so with my five-year-old, that's what we, we do with her. So we allow her to have big prayers. She's the one who sometimes leads our prayers, but I, as a father, try to lead it by example as well. The car ride home. It's a missed opportunity. I'm going to share some more stats with you in just a second. The friends and family. And I also realize that our children are going to be involved with a lot of people around them. And it's not solely up to you to, to have that responsibility. You have the responsibility of training these children up. You have. It is your responsibility to make sure it happens. But utilize the people around you. Set the people up in your life, your friends, your family, your coaches, your church. Use those resources to help you. So if you're in a place that you don't really know how to share God, ask one of us as staff. Ask me. I would love nothing, to, uh, love nothing more than for parents to come and say, okay, I, I want to be more involved. I want to be more intentional. How do I do it? That would make me so happy because then I'm able to look at the children in the face and be like, it's not hopeless. We can do this. We can do this. So use the the resources around you. And I think the idea here is that we need to make the second and the third generations a first generation. We need to be able to show these generations who God is, what he's done for them. And we don't need to allow them to fall into the temptations 
of the bells of this world. I'm going to give you a few more statistics, and then I'm going to pray and wrap it up. It says only 28% of younger Americans between 23 and 37 attend church. 28% of younger Americans between the age of 23 and 37 attend church. Generations before that range from 43% to 52%. So you can already see the decline there. From about 50% down to 28%. 34% of American families eat one meal together each day. The average father, oh, this is what really hurt me. It got me good. The average father spends an average of eight minutes per day with children. That includes meals and watching TV. Eight minutes per day. Tell me what kind of example are you setting to your children if you're only spending this. Now again, this isn't all of us, and we know these statistics are sometimes skewed because of circumstances and issues. But when I sat and realized, I know I'm above the eight, eight minutes per day, but man, it really started to speak to me of, whew, like that's, that's undivided attention. That's, I got a lot of work to do, but eight minutes per day. The average couple spends four minutes of uninterrupted time together each day. We are showing to our children that we don't have time for relationships. And the final stat that I want to leave you with, and I told you that the generation, they abandoned their faith. They didn't know God. And we know what a result of not knowing God is, not believing in God. And that is an eternity in hell. So when I said earlier, I'm waiting for the day for Christ to return, I am and I'm excited about it. But man, I'm worried about it too. Our youth. And are we as leaders or parents, are we doing what is necessary to make sure that our children have eternal security? And I want, to think, I want y'all to think about something. Because I'm taking the responsibility that I have serious when y'all, and I thank y'all for bringing your children to me. I thank y'all for having hope in us as a church that we're going to do things that prepare them. I thank you for that. And I take it serious, and I do everything I can to make sure they know Christ. But here's the statistic that's, that maybe will speak to you a little bit. The church only has about 40 hours per year to directly influence your child. An average parent has closer to 3,000 hours per year. The responsibility is yours. And it is a big responsibility. You are the only one who has the greatest influence in your child's life. So what are you doing with it? This is our future. The children are our future. We don't need to allow the next generation to not know God. They can be the ones who change the world. Dear God, I love you and I thank you, God, for this opportunity to be up here. God, I thank you for this message for me alone, God, because I know that it's, it's helped me. It's put things in perspective for me, God. I know that there's been times that my priorities have been shifted, God, in ways that, that I'm not proud of. But God, I'm thankful for your word. God, I'm thankful for your truth. And because of it, God, I'm able to see where things needed to change. And God, I, I pray that you begin to do that in me. God, change me from the inside out. God, begin to help me to change priorities. God, and I pray that each and every person in here, I, I pray that somebody was able to get something from this message today. And God, I pray that our priorities, God, if anything, that our priorities are shifted, God, to you. 
And we know that when our priorities are on you, God, that things are better. God, we know that you're crystal clear about your commandments and what you say for us, and I pray that we're able to follow those to the best of our ability, God. Help us not to uh, waver. Help us to follow fully on you. And God, above all, God, I pray that if there's anybody in here right now, God, maybe they have been compromising, God, in their faith and their sin, God, that they've turned away from you. Or God, maybe they didn't know you at all. God, I pray that just here in a minute, God, as we have a time for invitation, I pray that they will have the courage to come forth, God. God, and I pray a special prayer for all our parents in here right now. God, the only way that this changes is if the parents decide that they want to change. God, and sometimes we can't change without you. And God, I know there's probably parents in here right now that have not trusted in you. God, maybe they're excited. They want their children to come and know you, but God, they don't even know you. And God, I pray that if this is the case, God, I pray that you give these parents the courage, God, the strength to come forward. God, because it starts with them. It starts with us as parents to begin to change us, God, so that we can help change our children. So God, I pray that you give them the courage to come forth. God, again, I thank you for everything that you've done. God, I thank you for everything that you're going to do. God, I love you so much. And then we pray. Amen. How about everyone? If